0: Hey guys, it's Michelle, registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, and your host of this podcast, where we are talking all things intuitive eating, active living, and breaking down what is true versus what's a myth in the health and wellness world so that you can focus on simple and sustainable ways to actually improve your health. Today, I am chatting with Vicki Seckley. She is a physical therapist and a runner and a physical therapist for runners and shares so much wisdom about just her philosophy on how to approach physical therapy, her relationship with running, her training for her first marathon last year. It was such a great conversation and a really good way to just help you refocus if you feel like you are too into the nitty-gritty, obscure kind of tips and tricks that you can find all over Instagram because Vicky and I just really connected about our philosophies and, you know, her in the way she approaches physical therapy and then myself in the way that I approach nutrition. We are just both all about bringing things back to basics and simplifying, taking away the stress, not overthinking things, just really listening to yourself and your body and getting in tune with that so that you can feel good and have fun living the healthy active lifestyle you want so i think you're gonna love this conversation a little bit of a trigger warning vicky does share a bit about her eating disorder history um not in a ton of detail more so just talking about like mindset um, but no like specific numbers are shared or anything But if you are highly sensitive to conversations about eating disorders, she does also give another warning before we go into it. So you can listen to the episode and kind of pause or skip over when you get to that part. It's a bit far in. Um, So just a heads up on that. Otherwise, let's dive into the chat. I think you're going to love it. Hi, Vicki, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be chatting and I need you to tell me, I meant to ask you before, how do you pronounce your last name? Seckley. It's
1: kind of a weird last name. Yeah, my, my parents shortened it. They're Hungarian. So it's like they wanted to make it a little bit more like easy no way, to, that's to cool. say. Yeah, <laughs> They did their own thing. Good for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool.
0: Well, welcome. Super excited to be chatting with you. Um, I, we've connected through Instagram and just, I feel like are so aligned in philosophies, but in our different sectors, um, nutrition versus physical therapy, and I'm pumped to come together on all that. Me too, I'm so excited to chat. Awesome, so I would love to start out with you just sharing your background, who you are, what you do, and how you got into the world of physical therapy,
1: especially for runners. Yeah, so I started um, my journey as a physical therapist after I graduated back in 2016. Um, I had, I had been a runner previously, my actual main sport, though, in college was tennis, but I had kind of a love hate relationship, you know, growing up, just being competitive in a sport is very challenging, I think, from a young age, and I never really loved it. So what I did on the side, you know, aside from my tennis was run for myself, and I didn't really compete with it, I just kind of went on my own runs to really get away from know, school, life, everything like that. That's how kind of my love for running was born. Um, So then when I graduated PT school, I was finally able to kind of separate myself from the whole tennis world and being involved in that, which is basically what I wanted (laughs) as a child, um, but couldn't, you know, for much more complicated reasons, couldn't really get away from. Um, And I started to really lean into the fact that I loved running. So I started working in an outpatient orthopedic clinic in Manhattan, um, very close to Central Park. So we would get a couple runners coming in, and I started to realize that my eyes would light up. I would get so excited every single time I was able to treat with and chat with a runner. So uh, once I started to notice that, I was in a little bit of a rut with just my career after a couple years working there. And I had this moment where I was like, I am only happy when not only happy, but I am more happy when I'm working with runners. How can I make this more of my, you know, full-time position? Um, so I went to my boss, and everyone at the the place that I worked was very, very supportive of that. And I just basically said, look, I want to solidify myself as like the running PT in this clinic. I took all of the continuing education courses under the sun um i you know i started my own little uh free little workshop for runners where we would meet in central park every tuesday afternoon and we would do some strength exercises and workouts and i would just basically have like a lot of education for the runners in the community um and i said to you know i said to everyone who i worked with like if you have a runner and you don't really you're uh, at a loss like let me see them or just talk to me about it like i really was so passionate about it, and I think that really showed, and we didn't really have anyone like that at the clinic at the time um, so that's that's kind of how I started to dip my foot into okay I want to i want to almost specialize in this, and there isn't really a specialty in in running when it comes to physical therapy like we we graduate um PT school as generalist, everyone can basically treat everything. Um, and it's different than like pelvic floor PT, that's a whole other course, but I wanted to kind of start that. Um, and so I was in, on a really good path, um, felt really solid and, and kind of just happier in my career choice at that point. And then the pandemic hit. And it was kind of, the best time, because I had just launched my Instagram where I was really taking this a step further, saying, "Oh, people can find me on my Instagram and learn just more tips about running and physical therapy and everything and I had just launched my instagram it wasn 't really starting to kick off, but I knew that I needed even more of a change I wanted to um, I really wanted to I think change jobs at that time, but 2020 was weird. I'm also Canadian. We don't have to get into that. I you know, didn't have as many options as an American citizen in terms of like just changing jobs out of nowhere. Um, so right. you know, at the same time, also got married. So lots of things going on ultimately led me to just starting my own coaching business. Um, and that really evolved through Instagram, through sharing um, a lot more running tips and, and running information and to, yeah, basically get me to where I'm at today. Um, which is, you know, run coaching, PT, like everything under the sun. And I love it. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: It's amazing. It's an yeah. incredible empire you've built <laughs> and amazing to have a journey that is just following what you love. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what I always tell people when they ask about how I got into my niche in nutrition. It's just yeah. what
1: I liked and I yeah. ditched
0: what I didn't. And that's exactly.
1: Incredible. Yeah, that's, that's, that's I really go- it. It's almost, you know, you come to terms in your life where you're like, can I keep doing this? Do I really love this? And that was sad for me, honestly, to to have that thought only like three years into becoming an actual PT. Like PT school is three years after college. So you're basically in school for seven years. And that really hit me hard. And I think a lot of PTs feel this way. It's like you kind of get burnt out early on, just being a new grad, you get into this situation most people especially in a place like Manhattan where you're just you're you're kind of overworked right from the beginning and I'm sure it's like that in many other careers but it was that moment of just like sadness where I'm like I'm not happy doing this like what does make me happy where I can still use all of the skills that I learned in school and it doesn't go to complete waste like changing a career or something um so that's kind of you know that's how it all how it all started really
0: and it sounds like it really parallels your journey in sport, you know. You yeah, went on tennis and just followed what made you more happy with running.
1: Yeah, that that's very true. I never even thought of that connection, but that's very true as I was very unhappy and like it you know, it's hard being a a child in sports where it becomes your whole life. Um, and it's really hard to get out, out of that even though it feels toxic to you like the competition felt very toxic to me probably because i just didn't enjoy it to begin with didn't enjoy the sport um and it becomes your whole life so choosing something else is really hard to do and i know a lot of athletes who i went to school with who you know once you stop playing that sport and you don't go professional because most of us don't um Mm -hmm. it can be really shocking like who am i what am i without this sport and it's almost like this feeling where, you know, for me specifically, it was like, I don't even love this sport. And yet this sport has defined my whole life. Like people knew me as like the person who played tennis. Like I left, you know, I left high school to do that. I was, that was my whole life as, you know, I'm not, I obviously stayed in high school, but like, I would leave my classes to go play tournaments and people were like, oh, right. Like, she's a tennis player. Like she, I was actually voted like most likely to go to the Olympics or something, which wasn't (laughs) true. There were better athletes in my school. It's just like, I just, you know, that was how I, it was defined, you know? So it just, that was me. And to, to leave that is not easy, even though you don't really love it. So we're going down a whole other road right now.
0: (laughs) I know, I know. But I think that's so, relatable. And we yeah. can talk about this more in kind of your personal relationship with running, but yeah. I think a lot of people feel that even on a smaller scale, that classic post-marathon blues of, oh my yeah. God, I've been putting so much time and energy into this training plan. And now post-race day, it's over. What do I do with myself? So
1: yeah,
0: we can certainly dig into that because there's a lot here that Oh, I think I'd love you.
1: Um, Yeah, yeah.
0: But in terms of your work as a PT, Um, before we kind of get into your thoughts and recommendations, you're also very unique. Well, I, I think it's more common in our post COVID digital world, but (laughs) you are all virtual. You started your business on Instagram after being in an in-person clinic. So what made you decide to do that? What's the value of it that you see and what makes you so passionate about like doing virtual work?
1: Yeah, I love virtual. I love virtual everything. Um, Mainly <laughs> because I think there's this, it all starts with the idea of what physical therapy is. Um, and I think that not a lot of people know, right? I, I think people just kind of see PT as like, oh, I'm going to go like get a massage and like get kind of dry needling and get out to and then leave, right? And I just from from the beginning of my PT career, I really didn't sit well with me that whole idea that like this is basically like a massage and then you get handed off to, to an aide and you do your exercise with them. Like, no, the mo- actually the most important part, the reason that I would even do that whole hands-on treatment is not for the benefit you get from that treatment, but from the benefit you get to just talking with me. And I would learn so much about the client that I'm working with just from those interactions, not from, oh, I feel how your calf is feeling. That gives me, no, you're telling me about your life. You're telling me about what's going on. And I got way more information just from that conversation that we were able to have because of the manual therapy versus the actual effect of manual therapy itself. Um, Aside from that, you know, there's a ton of research coming out to say that manual therapy is helpful, but not for the reasons we think. Like there's no long-term effects. There's no like you know, prevention of injuries from manual therapy, there's no like, real improvements other than just like short term pain reduction. Um, So when we start to piece that together, it's like, what is really the role of a physical therapist? And I think the role is just that education piece, like, hey, you come in, you have a calf strain, for example, we're talking to runners, so lots of lots of calf strains, you know, pain, that kind of stuff. And it's like, the first thing that people want to know, like, are they going to be okay? How long is this going to take to feel better? Like, what? And once you start to chat with someone about that who kind of knows, you know, knows a little bit more information about injuries and how the mus- muscles work and how the body works, you can start to feel a sense of relief. So it's the conversation that you have and the education that you're getting that's really what PT is about. So I think that there's not really there's not much communication about that. And also people are going to their doctor's office and getting a diagnosis and knowing absolutely nothing about their injury. So where are they going to learn that? You know, like that's really the role of the PT. Exactly. Like, and that's the hard part is like Googling really doesn't give you anything because you miss so much of like the bigger picture when you just start Googling into your diagnosis. Um, Aside from that, I think a huge role of PTs is, and this is really what comes down to why I don't think manual therapy is honestly the future of PT is because manual therapy doesn't really allow the client or the patient to actually take matters into their own hands and solve and like not solve, but feel better through with just the help of themselves through their injury. And that is such a huge point in PT that I think it's lost in a lot of like PT businesses that aren't necessarily in it for the right thing. Like, you never really hear a PT say, you need to come see me for the rest of your life once a week. There's other professions that do that mainly, but that's because PT is meant to be like, hey, I'm here to give you tools in your toolbox. I'll help you through it. I'll teach you how to do them. But ultimately, you're going to get discharged. You're going to get, you're going to end this relationship, like potentially maybe even still having a little bit of pain, but ultimately a good PT session, a good PT routine is one that helps you figure out what you're going to do on your own at the end of the day. And you start to see this, this relationship develop where people start to get a little bit more like they feel they need the PT to help them, and that's from the manual therapy. It's like no, 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 but I need the massage to make me feel better. And it's like you actually don't, um, and and that's not ultimately what's going to make you feel better. Like all of the exercises you're given to do at home, that's what's going to help more in the long term. Um, so removing that, honestly, removes the dependence of clients on PTs and helps them recognize like, wow, I'm in charge of my own body. Yes. Sometimes I'll need direction and guidance and like all of those types of things, but I am ultimately what's going to make the difference. Um, so removing that reliance on PTs, I think, is huge, and the virtual world is amazing at doing that. So I think there's there's going to be hopefully, I mean, there's a lot of kind of older ways of thinking still in PT, but I think I think there's going to be a huge movement towards that, and just the empowered feeling that my clients get now of like, wow. I'm doing these exercises on my own. I don't have to see you or talk to you three to four times a week. Obviously I'm here to help guide you, but I don't need that. And I can do it on my own. Um, you start to see PT more as like a coach. Like I'm a coach. I, I'm here for guidance and that's okay. Like we're so stuck on this. Oh, we're doctors. And like, we have to wear a suit and tie and go into the clinic, like be authoritative figures, like, no. We're just here to help you on your journey. You know better than we do about your own body. Um, So that's a whole long-winded answer, but that's really why I love that. I love
0: it. I'm just nodding my head so much. (laughs) And this is why I love you you because it's it's so much more of a sustainable approach and a holistic approach. And that's how I see my work in nutrition as well. You know, I could give someone a menu and a meal plan and they could follow that and then- have to keep coming back to me and just have that, oh my God, tell me what to eat mindset. Otherwise, I don't know what to do. But no, I want to teach people how to understand their own bodies, which is exactly what you're saying in your own realm, so that they can know their hunger cues, their fullness cues, their energy levels when they eat X, Y, Z things, and how they feel on their run with this fuel versus that fuel. And that is what makes someone feel empowered in their own health. And that's what makes us healthy, is knowing ourselves and knowing how to best take care of ourselves for longevity not um exactly just to like power through this race and go as fast as I can and then like okay back to the PT back to the
1: dietitian because I don't know what to do about anything exactly and that's where you start to realize like kind of how messed up our whole health insurance system is working I mean in the U.S. I'm sure it's different in other countries but like there's this whole idea that like prevention isn't covered so ultimately when that's what we're starting with and people can't even like use their insurance to come see a PT for preventative care, already it's messed up. And that's when you start to realize like, wait, that's not actually helping me long-term. Like I need to figure out the tools that are going to help me long-term to prevent this from happening again. Like there's the biggest risk factor for having an injury is actually having that injury previously. Right? right. So, <laughs> like, being, a- you know, being able to know how, you know, how to recognize what's going on and then having the tools to figure out how to prevent it from flaring up on your own is huge. And that's like a big thing I think that's missing um, in our current. I, I think there are good PTs who do it regardless of what insurance companies say, but um, it's really not. The model is not built to, to help you with that. So yeah, it's and tough. this tough. Right. I mean, this is a perfect segue
0: into the next thing I wanted to ask you about, yeah. which is kind of your ideal prescription, if you will, for PT, because
1: yeah. I think
0: it, it, it's kind of true. I was going to say, you know, runners get a bad rap, but it's kind of true that a lot of runners have this toxic mindset of like, I'm just yeah. going to run through the pain. I don't want to be told yeah. I have to stop. Like I'm just yeah. going to ignore it until it's really a problem. And a lot of people see physical therapy as a response to injury and yeah. as a reaction. And I mean, myself included, you know, I never saw a PT until I was training for my very first marathon and having pain and had right. to stop running. And I was like, right. okay. Yeah. So I mean, I know for myself as a dietitian, like I don't see nutrition counseling as just the answer when you feel like, okay, everything's terrible yeah. and I need help. Um right. so If you could have a, let's say, a brand new runner and tell them, here's how you need to incorporate physical therapy in your routine from the start when you're totally healthy. Uh, What is the ideal way for someone to
1: actually incorporate
0: this into their life as a runner?
1: That's a really good question. I'm going to answer it in probably first, like, not the way that you'd necessarily think. Um, I I think it. it starts with Habits. Of, um well, first of all, it's really tough for someone to just see a PT for like no reason, you know? Like, I, and I don't necessarily think that's the best thing to do. Like, you don't have to just be like, oh, I'm a runner. I should go see a PT, right? And then it's like, okay, well, what are we really talking about, you know? um I would almost say, like, see a PT who maybe does like strength coaching and all of that and like run coaching and kind of understand your body as a whole so you can get more like of like is- a
0: an actual like dual certification?
1: Yes. I mean, there's probably PTs out there who don't have the strength coaching certification that can still be helpful, but you kind of want to, I guess what I'm trying to say is you want to address it more from like getting the getting stronger perspective versus like the injury prevention perspective, because it's hard to prevent injuries that you don't know are going to happen like because every single person's different um so I wouldn't necessarily say it's like every single runner has to go get their form checked and get their like make sure they're doing all of these things like I don't think that's necessary but I think again taking a more holistic approach like hey I'm a runner understanding the demands that I'm putting my body through because running is not like easy right especially long distance running it's you know a thousand steps a mile two to three times your body weight going through each side of your body like can my body go through that so it's more just like I guess the best way to put it is like picking the low-hanging fruit if there's nothing that's really driving you to like injury prevention it's like okay what can I start doing building habits on my own So you're gonna say something yeah (laughs) Yeah. I I
0: want to dig a little deeper into what you said about I feel like this is kind of a hot take that you think yeah. not every runner needs to go get their form checked. Absolutely I not. didn't know that. Can you tell I don't, me why?
1: I, I don't think so. Look, I think that I think there's a benefit to having your form checked from maybe a performance perspective. Maybe if you're really like, oh, I have this goal to win this race and like, you know, kind of at that higher level. Um, mm-hmm. I also think, yes, I think there's, A benefit to potentially like picking apart certain things being like oh this might increase your risk of injury the way that your foot's landing this way um things like that yes however the flip side of that is our bodies are running as a motor control sport right every Mm -hmm. single person's anatomy is different and like our form is going to be a little bit different from one person to the next. There isn't like one 100% standard way to run. And sometimes I feel like if someone really hasn't dealt with injuries ever, like it's a different story for like I this is chronically flaring up and something's happening, then I think it's important to go get your form checked. But if we're talking about a completely healthy runner who's been running for a long time and hasn't really had issues, I think it might actually be worse to start picking things apart because it's working out well for you. And what I've seen right. is the flip side of things where it's like, okay, now we're starting to pick things apart. So then subconsciously the runners going to be like, oh, I have to do this. I have to do this. Changing all of these things that don't necessarily need to be changed. And most of us runners, like, I feel like maybe not runners in general, but like, I tend to overthink things and I think it would be very unhelpful. And what I found with a lot of my clients, sometimes it's unhelpful to have 10 different cues to think about when you're running, when you didn't really have to shit, like it was working to begin with. So I guess the way I put it is like a completely healthy runner who has been running for a while, hasn't really had injuries in the past. Like, I don't think you have to go get your form checked out for no reason. However, from an injury perspective, if you have dealt with lots of injuries or something keeps flaring up, then yes, I think that is a road to kind of go down potentially. I mean, there's a lot of other things you can do first, but um, yeah, I guess that's a better way to phrase it.
0: <laughs> I mean, it
1: sounds like it all comes
0: down to not overcomplicating it, which is
1: Exactly. Amazing. Yes. And that's what, I love that you say that because that's kind of what my whole like Instagram is dedicated to is yes, there, there same. are so <laughs> many things on social media that are almost like fear tactics to make you feel like, Absolutely. like, it's so scared, almost like, Oh my God, if I do, if I'm a heel striker, I'm going to get injured, which is not, we, we know that's not true. And people start picking it apart and it becomes actually worse. You know, so and like, then
0: especially for a new yeah. runner who maybe doesn't yes. even know the terminology, and oh gosh, mm-hmm. now I have to Google what a heel striker even is and try and exactly. figure out. If I'm doing it. and then it right. like, takes
1: the fun out of the sport. For new runners who aren't injured and just are like have a goal of just like increasing their mileage, like there are so many other things that you can do before you go down the road of let me change my form, right? Like figure out what your form is first. At, like you know get right. the mileage like get it down first and then you can worry about that stuff later and that's that's another word too there, you should never worry about it like it shouldn't be like something that is stressing you out so much that you can't think about anything else but the way that you're running when you're running right mm-hmm. um because the stress of that is probably worse than- <laughs> right all i'm thinking about yeah. is
0: my music or my podcast or whoever Ask, i'm talking
1: to <laughs> Build positive relationships with running before you start to go down the road of, oh, my God, am I doing something wrong? (laughs) Yes.
0: So when are the times that you would um, start to, I mean, it sounds like definitely injury, but in terms of kind of what you were talking about with approaching things from a strength perspective, where do you see that PC integration start to come in in that way? Yeah.
1: Okay, so this is another way that I think that PT kind of have to evolve a little bit because what I often see, and this, is, this goes back to something I posted on my Instagram earlier this week, is like runners will go into PT and they'll be given a bunch of exercises that are honestly too easy. Clamshells, bridges, and they're like, okay, but I have pain. And stuff. it's like, and, it but then it's like, oh, but I have pain on mile 12 during my run. Ten clamshells aren't really going to to do anything, right? Um, and I think it comes back to this idea that like, and I and I do I do understand where it's coming from. Like PT has really historically been like in the acute setting where like someone's in a lot of pain, where like yeah, sometimes that does happen with running, and clamshells are the answer. And you kind of have to build from the beginning. This is not me saying that clamshells are not a good exercise it's just saying for the majority of runners who are experiencing pain if you're only given clamshells and you're not really progressing it's not going to do much for you because running is a very demanding sport we have to be treated like athletes and some PT clinics in the city that I know of don't have dumbbells that go past 10 and like how are you supposed to you know, there's this whole idea that like, oh, it's really just in the acute setting. Once you're strong enough to to do an exercise with more than a 10 pound dumbbell, you shouldn't be in PT. And that's where I disagree. I think PTs really have to solidify their, their place in the strength and conditioning world because we are movement experts and we know how to do that type of stuff. And especially when we're dealing with athletes in a sport and some runners might be sitting there like oh i'm not an athlete like i only run you know three miles every other day and it's like you are an athlete like we have to change that perspective and that idea like you need to fuel like an athlete which we'll get into like you need to treat yourself like an athlete 10 body weight double leg calf raises aren't gonna do it like your body weight is two to three times goes goes into that calf two to three times your body weight every single time you're pushing off when you're running ten body weight calf raises isn't going to do it like mm-hmm. and going from that idea that hey it needs to get a little bit harder and we need to actually start strength training and not just like doing these little like banded exercises like every day. Um, I think that that's a misconception too. And it's almost started to weirdly irk me. I'm going on a tangent here, but I'll come back to it in a second. Um, It it started to like kind of irk me seeing people being like, I'm going to do my strength training twice a week. And then I'll do my PT exercise every day. And it's like, okay, so you were not progressed enough then in PT because your PT exercises, first of all, you shouldn't be able to do them every single day. They're too easy. That, that, mm. Then they're not actually building strength. You're not wow. actually making a change yeah. in your muscular system to, to like do something. Right. So then why are you just like repeating the same like band exercise? What, like, what is that going to do for you? Right. So then it's not the client's fault because how would they know, you know, I'm yep. kind of putting it on the system again. And I don't want to like, I don't want to put it down on any PTs because it's hard and, it's not like the easiest thing to just keep progressing people when insurance companies are in the way, all of that kind of stuff. But like ultimately your PT program should become like a strength and conditioning program. You're doing it two to three times a week. You physically cannot do it more than that because it is so hard. If you do it more, you are going to be exhausted and you're sore. And like, there's just no point to, to doing it more than two to three times a week if you're actively building strength. Um, so anyways, now I completely forgot what the question was. <laughs> that's amazing i don't know but it's went <laughs> yeah. <different>, <laughs> on a tangent there sorry
0: <laughs> yeah no but but that's great so it sounds like strength is what's key for somebody who's not injured who's maybe a new runner no matter yes. how short or far their distances are strength yeah. is more important than people make it because i think it. i mean it's also part of that runner trope that like oh we just kind of blow off the strength training but yeah that really can yeah. not be the case
1: Yeah, and I think ultimately the reason why strength training is important from a runner's perspective is actually not what you might think, because there aren't that many research articles that link injury prevention and strength training. It's starting to slowly build in that direction, and we're coming up with more information, but there's not like a huge body of evidence to support that. So you might be sitting there saying like, well, then why is everyone in the running world talking about that? and a lot of the first of all it's complicated it's really hard to have an association with injury prevention with anything because injuries are so complex and multifactorial so then we have to ask like okay then why is this important for runners i think ultimately comes down to it's a different form of training for your body it's not endurance it's not cardio and it's still loading your muscles and joints in a way that honestly protects them Um, And that's that is what's super helpful for runners. And that's when you start to see people who start strength training, and their strength training starts to look like they're running, where they're like, Oh, my strength session, I sweat so much, and I was jumping around for 45 minutes. And I'm not seeing any benefits. It's Like, yeah, because you basically just did a cardio workout. Like you didn't do actually do strength training. Like that's not you know that's not what strength training is, right? So when we when we actually see that difference in a runner's plan, we recognize that like our bodies love variety, our bo- and it's really important for us to put our body in different positions where we're working on control, we're working on building the muscular system. Our muscular system protects our joints, keeps them healthy. Like that is the purpose of strength training, even though we might not necessarily see the biggest link just yet to like, okay, if I do this strength exercise every day, I'm going to never have knee pain in my life. Like it's just too complex to find that. But what we do know is our bodies really like variety. And unfortunately, running is not exactly like the most like variety type of sport. You're literally doing the same thing. (laughs) Every single step. So, like having that variety is super important. Yeah. So, this
0: is something that is mentally challenging for a lot of runners who love their runs, who love to increase their mileage, who get that runner's high and are chasing after that. Mm -hmm. And if they are now hearing, okay, so you're telling me I need to increase my strength, that my strength sessions can't feel the same as my runs. And you're telling me that maybe it's not even going to prevent my injury because there are so many other things. <laughs> How do you people <laughs> mentally yeah. be okay with this and get used to such a shift in what
1: they're used to doing or what they might want to do? It's tough. I think a huge piece is the way that I'm wording this, and maybe I'm not coming off on the right thing. I don't like the word injury prevention because okay, that yeah. is a loaded word. What I like to use is reducing your risk of injuries, And you might be sitting there like, oh, that's the same. It's not the same. It's not the same. Having that variety in your plan, like I just mentioned, and then ultimately recognizing that what makes the most difference in your body is building strength and stability around your joint, recognizing that your body needs stability to run. What brings stability? Your muscles. How do you build that? through strength training, then you recognize, oh, there is a link between me actively getting stronger and me protecting my body, me reducing my risk of injuries. But I'm never going to sit here and say it is going to 100% prevent an injury. And that's the difference. It's like, I am not promising at, at every anything. I'm not promising that if you start strength training, you will never feel pain again, right? That's That's the difference. But- If you are going to start strength training, you will probably improve your performance. You will reduce your risk of injuries, but you still have to recognize that it's a little bit more complex than that.
0: I love that nuance in language. I think it's important in in shifting mindset and it does make it more holistic and really hammers on that point that nothing is about one single magic bullet. Like, yes, you can reduce your risk through yeah. I think ultimately we all know, yes, strength training is important. It does help yeah. us be healthier in so many ways. Yeah. And we also want to reduce risk of injury with sleep, nutrition, stress management, yeah. so many things. They're so on the same level. It makes it yeah. a part of yeah. an entire lifestyle as a runner, yeah. as an athlete, rather than seeking that, again, the problem with our healthcare system, that response rather than prevention and holistic approach.
1: And I think that's a really good point that you brought brought in everything with that because what I'm trying to really get to, I think the point that I'm trying to make is when someone thinks strength training is going to prevent my injuries and then they get injured, what I never want is someone to be like, well, strength training didn't work for me. It didn't prevent my injuries. And that's ultimately the issue that I have with saying that right. is there are injuries are so complex and multifactorial that you can do seemingly all of the right things to prevent injuries and still get injured. And that doesn't mean you've done something wrong, right? And in many cases, that's why it's so frustrating. But Mm -hmm. I think that you still have to have those pieces regardless, because it is, you know, who knows, you could have been injured a lot earlier than right it's like all of these things that are unknown and are super hard to study but like ultimately we can't sit here and this is a big thing is that in my PT practice too is like anytime I work with a client I'm always going to sit here and say working with me I am never going to promise you that you will never feel pain again but what I am going to promise you is you're going to know exactly what to do if this does happen again and you're going to feel much better about it right so that's like that's what I'm that's what I'm giving to people. Right. So that's the difference. Yeah.
0: Of course. I always think of the, the, how it relates to the nutrition examples and it's, I'm just thinking of the parallel with fueling for runs, you know, somebody could try and ironically as a dietitian, I struggle a lot with fueling on long runs and have yet to find the perfect combo of like what works for you. Yeah. Um, so you know, I don't want someone to go out try one fuel. They have GI issues, and they're like, "Okay, I'm not going to get on my run." No, that's not yeah. the answer. And it's the same yeah. thing you're saying with like things can happen, no matter what. Our bodies yeah. are not robots. Like, there's yeah. no one solution. And even when you find a solution, sometimes it's still not going to work. Yeah. So I hear really-
1: that all the time. Sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but I think that this is no, such no, a no. great point that you make. I, you know, with my athletes, I talk about everything, obviously, as a run coach, too. And there are so many people who are like, eating doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me. I get stomach issues. And they're just like, so, and it's like, okay, you're a human being. You need fuel to survive. You're burning a lot. Like, what do you mean eating doesn't doesn't work work. for you? That is literally. So I think that that's like, that's such a correlation between physical therapy and like nutrition is, is just like, we're not here to like, give you the exact answer for everything. We don't know the exact answer, but we are here to help guide you through and figure out what works best for you. Not for like, what works best for me for, as a few, like fueling my runs is not going to be the exact same thing. That's going to help you. Um, right. and that's you, you <laughs> yeah. You can get ideas and yes. things try cool. and
0: something cool. I say to my clients all the time which I'm sure you do as well is yeah I don't know there's nobody who knows how you feel inside yeah. of your body yeah No, you can't compare because you don't know you can't compare to anyone else because you can never experience how hungry they are how full they are how their stomach is cramped. like any of those sensations you can only feel inside of your own body yeah if there is a way that I'm wrong someone please tell me because that would be fascinating and I'd love <laughs> to know but it's there's just not, not yeah
1: Right. Right. And again, it's the same same thing with like injuries and PT. It's like, there's so many factors that go into how your body's going to feel on that run. What did you eat the night before? What did you like, how much water did you drink? Like, how are you, you know, and, and even if you do the exact same thing every single day, it can still be different because then Mm -hmm. you factor in how much stress you're experiencing in your life. That affects hormone levels. Like it's, it's such a nuanced thing. And, I think people right now are so addicted to finding perfection and an answer to everything. So they buy the whoop thing, the aura ring, and they're tracking like 30 different things at once. And it's like, it really is not that simple. Like you can't just be like, Oh, it's because of this, 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 like, there are just so many different things that aren't even worth it. Like you just kind of have to take it as it comes and like, do your best to navigate through it and and not worry about it. (laughs) Right. And
0: this is also just my gripe with all of those things. Yeah. Um, And I imagine you might agree when you're relying on all of this data from an app, it's it's taking you outside of your body. And then you're not paying attention to yourself. You're paying attention to what your phone is telling you based on the watch or the ring or whatever. And then you're actually just going to feel worse because you don't even know how you're feeling.
1: Thank you. I love that. That's exactly it. Like you lose touch with your own body at that point. Yes. You're like so addicted to looking, Oh my God, my whoop only told me that I got six hours of sleep last night. That must mean I'm tired. I must be tired today. I'm not functioning. There's so many other reasons that you could actually be functioning. It's like this crazy thing that it's like, where did we lose? I mean, we should have seen this coming just with our, our whole dependence on our phones and all all of that. So obviously this is like kind of the natural next step, but I feel like sometimes I'm just banging my head against the wall being that like provider and that person in healthcare where it's like, that's actually not how it works though. And Mm -hmm. it's hard to go against big companies like that who are like really spending all this money on advertising and making it sound so amazing when ultimately you're like, wait, but that's not how it works. Like, and that's not what we should be focused on. Um, and it's, like, most of these companies have not been started by medical professionals. So it's, like, y- y- you start to realize, like, okay, what's actually happening here? And I'm not saying yeah. that there there isn't good in some of it, um, but I'm just saying the overall, like, reliance and dependence has become extreme, I think.
0: I completely agree. And, yeah, yeah. to to reiterate that, like, this is not to hate on anyone who knows their because everybody has a different relationship with those things you might find it's helpful and you might find that yeah you are able to see it for what it is and also catch and also pay attention to yourself so i mean anyone who uses tech which is literally all of us i would challenge you to go for (laughs) a run with nothing yeah have a night of sleep with nothing and like try just checking in with yourself and see how that feels and yeah yeah, I
1: think you said it perfectly. Like if you use it, first of all, uh, yeah, you're right. Absolutely no hate to anyone who's using any of these devices. I think that they can sometimes actually help you be more aware. And as long as you are using it for that reason. And you're recognizing like, but I know better. I know my body. It can help me figure out maybe what's going on a little bit. And I don't have to sit there saying, why do I feel like crap? Oh, right. It's because I didn't get good sleep. I'm all for that. I also think that ultimately, there should be and this is how I feel about a lot of things like orthotics or like different kind of more permanent devices, like there should be some kind of plan to almost like wean yourself off or like have some kind of future plan with this where you're like, okay, I'm stepping back into myself and recognizing that this gave me so much data and I'm so happy for it. And now I understand myself better, but I don't need it to function. Yeah. That
0: is about to send me <laughs> on other tangent and I'm going to bring it to my life.
1: <laughs> we could probably talk for hours. I'm sure. We really could. This is going to be like a five
0: part thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is even how I think about everyone's relationship with running. And I want to get into your relationship with running and body image because running in itself, just like anything that is supportive of our health, we don't always have access to it. And so if it's your only thing... You know, I say this all the time because as a dietitian, I treat a lot of clients who have a history of disordered eating or eating disorders. And so that's one thing that I'm always thinking about with these devices is do you have a history of getting to that obsessive place? And if you do, that's really something to watch out for. If you don't, maybe the tech is really cool and helpful and helps you be more in tune. Um, But watching out for those behaviors that you know are red flags in yourself and also being able to be okay without it. And a lot of people I work with will tell me, well, I run for my mental health and heck yeah, me too. Like it's great. And there are times when you're tired, when you're sick, when you're injured and you can't run and you need to be able to still care for your mental health then. So having a oh, yeah. like full toolbox that doesn't include exercise is so important. So yeah. I, I want to talk more about your personal story with Love running it. with Food. I know you also, I was thrilled to see you share about um, weight gain during marathon training, body image thoughts yes. coming up during your marathon training this year, last year, I guess, technically now. Um, <laughs> so let's get into it, whether you want let's to start do it. years um, ago or I... marathon cycle. Tell us how it's
1: been for you. I definitely want to start with my history with like my body image and weight gain. And I don't know if if we even need a trigger warning because this is like a nutrition podcast, but I will be talking about my eating disorder and all of that. So I want to start there because I think it really segues nicely. It's like that conversation we were having about dependence on data and information that we're getting from an outside source. I had such an unhealthy relationship with my scale, my um, like, of how and much so I weigh. and mm-hmm. I you don't even realize it like I was putting my worst in the number that I saw on that scale and not and I completely lost sense of how I actually feel and like it's mm-hmm. scary to be in that place where you're literally like I don't know how I feel let me let me see how this tells me how I feel and like you don't I even think- notice yeah go ahead so
0: I I love this because it's so common in so many people. And I will do this mini thought exercise with my clients all the time and ask that like, if somebody, I'm just going to use like random numbers so that it's not anything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's say somebody's goal weight is like 700 pounds. And obviously this is bizarre. Right. Um, And their scary weight is like, 750. And so I'll tell people like, okay, if you're actually, I'm going to use letters because I don't like that. (laughs) If you step on the scale and you are X and that's what you want to weigh, how will you feel? Okay. Now pretend that someone tells you, oh my gosh, actually that scale is broken. Use this scale instead. It's going to be accurate. And now it's Y, which is the weight that you hate. Physically, nothing has changed about you, but you see that number and you all of a sudden hate yourself. And there's literally zero difference.
1: Yes. It's it's really crazy and it's crazy that how much it can play mind games with you like I literally I I literally remember looking in the mirror and based off of what that scale told me I saw myself completely differently like I thought I looked bigger when the number on the scale was higher and it's like And then I look back to pictures of myself in that time and I was skin and bones, like scary, you know? And it's Mm -hmm. like, how does it, complete body dysmorphia and like, you don't even really, you absolutely don't realize it when you're in it, but like you, you can't even imagine how much like tricks you can actively play on your mind and how you can totally see things differently when you are not in tune with yourself and you're just, you're relying on something completely like arbitrary, like so something so random that knows nothing about you and your story and your body and your history that's telling you how to feel. And like that mm-hmm. relationship is messed up. And like, I think that's probably why I have such like a, I have a, such a guard up with certain things. Like it, it took me even a long time to get an Apple watch, which like
0: sometimes right. I struggle
1: with my relationship with my watch too, based on the numbers that it's giving me and my workouts. Like I still have that. I'm in a much better place now than I was before, but like, it's something that I'm still struggling to through, which is it's like the data that we're given.
0: I have yeah. to delete Strava every few months. Cause I'm like, oh, this yeah. is too much comparison.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because it, there's, there's no way that a number on a screen, any screen gets the full story. It never, it right. never will. It never will. And like being focused on the bigger picture is so much more important from an injury perspective, from a mindset and wellness perspective, like the whole thing. And I think we lose sight of that when we start to look at at technology. Um it we doesn't do. have that. So yeah. Um so, anyways, how so- did you really <laughs> move beyond that. Yeah, that I mean therapy, hundred percent, um, was super helpful. I think there was a big connection between how just how unhappy I was with myself. So this was the time when I was still playing tennis. Um and just like not happy with where I was at in my life in general. Um, and that's why I think I relied on other things to tell me how I was feeling because I was just so unhappy. Um, Mm. so, you know, moving past that, I think also after that I moved to New York and I, um, you know, just was in a much better place with, you know, PT school now, different friends, different things to focus on, got out of the tennis world, like all of that Mm. kind of stuff. Um, Therapy obviously was, is number one. I'll, I'll never say better things about that. But um, that's ultimately what helped me move on. And it took years. Um, and I, I still work on it every single day. But I can tell you this right now, I'll never have a scale in my home ever again.
0: And like, yeah. I do
1: think that there are again, I think there are people who can use it to their advantage for whatever reason. I am not one of those people. And I recognize that. I am also recognized and I learned about myself that I'm very competitive with myself. I'm very competitive when it comes to numbers and it will be a lifelong thing that I work on. So that's just like, ultimately, yeah. It's like, how did I move past it? I am in a better place. Have I completely moved past everything? I never will. Like I'm always learning. I'm always trying to, you know, get better with it. So Yeah. Yeah. It's something that's so important to
0: know about yourself. And I, Mm -hmm. I like that you pointed out, you know, this is how you know that you are because even as a provider, I'm not 100% anti-scale pro-scale, like viewed weights versus behind weights is a big debate in especially the eating disorder world. And it depends on the person. I have some clients who never see their weight and they never want to, and that's fine. And then for some people, it can be a goal. Exposure almost like it's a tool. If somebody wants to get to the place of, you know what, I want to be able to see it and not be bothered. And that's a totally goal as long as you're working with someone to support you in that. So there's no right or wrong. And you know that, okay, like this is one too many numbers for me and I'm just not gonna do it. Great. You have to do what works for you.
1: I love that. And that goes it exactly ties back into our whole like data conversation. Like if you're using it as a tool and if it's not defining your life, defining the way that you feel, it can be a really great thing. Like it's never black and white. Right.
0: Never, ever black and white. Nothing is. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs)
1: exactly. Right. Exactly. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So this past year, 2022, is your first marathon. My first ever You know, you talked about being kind of never at the finish line with all of these um, mental hurdles to work through. How was
1: training for your first ever marathon? This is great. So 2022 was a big year for me in terms of like growth as a runner. I hired my first run coach. I decided like, you know, even though I have an Instagram and it's been growing and everything, I've never really put too much of an interest in like the performance in my running and I think a lot of that is tied back to what I had dealt with previously with tennis and just competition and like almost PTSD with that and running was always my scapegoat Mm -hmm. in that sense so I struggled to be like is do I want to even compete because I know that I struggle with numbers and the way that things are so you know I worked through that and I just woke up one day and I was like I'm ready I'm ready to commit to this I want to see like my performance and like have fun with it and actually prioritize my running I think is what it came down to I you know got a dog in 2021 and I found that like it, I was really struggling to put my running first and I wanted it to be first so well not first but like I wanted it to be priority um so I hired a run coach and this is when this is 2022 was the first year, like I actively started taking things seriously. And I think a huge thing that I had struggled with previously is like, I never fueled, I never fueled with my run. Mm -hmm. And it was just something that I like, even past my eating disorder, I was just like, well, like I'll eat breakfast after, you know, like it wasn't really something that I thought was a big deal. Like that's really just how I, I guess I saw it. And once I recognized, like, hey, no, I'm an athlete. I want to feel good. I want to have good runs. I want to be present in my workouts and not feel like crap when I'm trying to push my body. It was like a switch went off. Like, I'm going to start fueling. And thankfully, I didn't have too much of an issue with, like, stomach or GI things. I mean, I know how hard it is sometimes. And, like, it's not like I didn't have any GI issues, but like, I didn't really, really like, I just kind of one day was like, I'm going to start eating before I go out for my runs. I'm going to start bringing gels, whatever. Um, just that mindset shift was the most important when I was just done. I was done with feeling bad when I was running. I was done with feeling lightheaded. I was done with feeling completely malnourished after running and being like, I'm going to, scarf down the biggest sandwich in the world because like, oh, I went on a 10 mile run and like, it was great. But now I'm the hungriest I've ever been and my, and I'm, my whole day is ruined because of that. Right. Um, right. so I, I yeah. also want to
0: normalize that, like, maybe people just don't know that like mm-hmm. someone might be thinking, okay, I run, but I've never had an eating disorder. I don't restrict myself. So right. it's fine. Yeah. And I, I started running more long distance in college. I did my first half marathon yeah with zero fuel because yeah. i simply didn't know yeah. and i am just someone who has had a lot of gi issues from anxiety and that yeah. kind of like anxiety induced ibs and so i never yeah. ate before i ran because i was like well my stomach hurt like i just don't want to yeah. risk feeling bad and i training for that to have was the most yeah. clueless i could have ever been i would like <laughs> before going out for my runs in my dorm room sophomore year my roommate would still be asleep I would get up and just like open the trail mix and eat almonds which is like why would you ever <laughs> eat like such high fat food Weird. before a run? Like, yeah. so stupid. Michelle, no yeah. I would just like yeah. have all these almonds and then go for a run yeah. um and I also it was a trail half marathon and guess how many trail runs I did before zero, zero. <laughs> it's like So also, like, even if you you have just eating history, even if you're only running, not even only, if you're running two miles, three miles, whatever, it's never
1: bad to fuel. Yeah, That's a really important distinction I think you make too. And like one that I want to bring up, I know that we just talked about my history with eating disorders, but like, I was still running after that, after like, I didn't have, well, it was kind of like what you said, like I was past that eating disorder era, I guess you could say in Taylor Swift's words. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> and I was still not fueling because I just like yeah. was like, no, this is not what I don't need to do it. You know, like it was, yeah, pure just n- not understanding how it works. Um, and mm-hmm. also ultimately not understanding the benefits and the improvement and the the performance that I'm leaving on the table that I have to give when I'm not fueling. And that Which was the biggest mindset for
0: me. Yeah. yeah. And you can even notice that even if you're not competitive, like you don't yeah. have to be aiming for a nope. BQ in nope. order to see that difference. I, nope. I say all the time, you often don't know how bad you felt until you feel better. And yeah. it, it very much is that.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's, that's really, really it. And I think that now I, I'm not nervous about like getting lightheaded or like having to stop mid run because like something feels off. And back then I wouldn't have even thought like why is this happening? Oh, maybe I didn't fuel enough. Like I just had no idea. And now it's not even a concern that's in my right. mind because like it it just it so greatly impacts your run. Like I wish mm-hmm. I could talk about this forever. I wish everyone knew this secret that like it really wow your, body needs, of- your <laughs> body needs food to function like oh my god what a secret but like it really is i mean it really is and i think that recognizing how important it is for specifically runners like we could talk about the importance in different sports but like running because it's such a um long like it's a really a long distance sport that you don't really see in different types of sports like other sports you you have time you have breaks you have like time to take right. in between most things like tennis matches are over after like an hour or two with runs you're running for three or four hours like it really is it's a completely different thing that you're dealing with um right. and I think that a lot of a lot of it can be just improved from your fueling like that's it so simple yeah absolutely
0: so it sounds like that was a huge part of huge. Your marathon what else was kind huge yeah the- so I'm down the lows of your training cycle.
1: That that really leads me into the next thing, which you kind of talk, you kind of brought up before, is like the weight gain that happens with with the marathon training, um, which was a shock to me. Yeah. But again, what it is to most people, it is that to like- most people, yeah.
0: That it's, it's possible, because I also don't want to scare people off and be like, you will gain weight when you marathon train. Not everybody yeah, does, No. Um, but I will say if you are losing weight while marathon training, that is a
1: red flag. Yes, very much a red flag. I think where it came, where it like really kind of, again, mindset shift for me was I, in order to get through the high amount of mileage and really the demands of marathon training and I think like if anyone's listening to this podcast this is not meant to scare someone off from marathon training but it's really similar actually to like getting a dog I don't know why I just thought of this but like <laughs> some people are like oh I can just get a dog and like live my life and I want to be there and be like it's really hard to get a dog you can't just like live your life after that like it's a it's a animal like it has needs things change like you can't just sit there and be like I'm gonna run a marathon and like not do anything and not change your mind like just increase a run every week and like hope for the best like marathon training is and should be challenging like it is it's a change it's a commitment and I want people to start seeing it that way because again not meant to scare anyone off but it's a big deal A marathon is a big freaking deal and it's not something where you can just be like, Oh, I'm just going to like continue life as normal and like, hopefully fit a couple runs in and like, who knows how it's going to go. Like you increase your risk of injury. You're not going to like, it's just not going to feel good. It's not going to be fun. If you kind of do it like lackadaisical. So it's one of those things where you kind of have to commit to it. And once you commit to it, you recognize like, okay, I am going to challenge my body by increasing my mileage. I am going to need to eat more. And I'm also going to have to recognize that my body is changing and it's not going to give me the right message, the right cues that it used to give me. And that was something that I had to really learn is like, just because I'm not hungry after a long run doesn't mean I don't need food.
0: And like, that's something
1: that was like mind blowing to me. I was like, I am now not. And I think another uh, dietitian that I talked to, she said it so perfectly. It's like, you're not fueling, you're not eating with, um, in, what's the word? You're not eating intuitively. You're eating with intention. You're eating as an athlete because this whole intuitive eating idea is like, oh, listen to your hunger cues. You are an athlete who is training for a major event. You can't eat intuitively. You have to eat with intention, like recognizing yes. that like, oh my gosh, you're actually doing something big here is like a big deal, I think.
0: Definitely. Yeah. I love, I love that phrasing, intentional eating. Yeah. And I also love to educate people that intuitive eating is not 100% based on how you feel. There yeah. is, true. this is true from the 10 principles, but I, yeah. this is like Michelle's intuitive eating. Um, yeah. I also like to talk about this component of, logical intuitive eating where yeah. maybe it's like a really busy work day and you're going into a three hour meeting and you're not hungry before you but you're going to be starving after so you eat and it's the same thing right. after a long week like
1: Such a my good
0: point. hormones and like blood flow and cues are all off because of what my body just went through but yeah. logically i know what my body just went through and that it needs fuel and to be yeah. replenished and so that, that can be intuitive because intuitive is just about doing what you ultimately know is best for your body and this is why you are the expert and I'm just
1: <laughs> <laughs> No, but I mean that's such a good point. Like I don't I it's both I it. don't know like really what intuitive eating is. So I like it I love to matter, hear that. It's yeah.
0: like whatever language resonates for whoever is listening. Like you Very call true. it what you want to call it as long as yes. you're doing what's right for you.
1: Hundred percent. And that was that was a big thing for me too, because I had kind of like I kind of like prided myself, especially after, is that a word? I don't even know if I just said a word, but I had been very proud of myself for making strides with my eating disorder and like eating better and being like, Oh, I'm actually going to eat when I'm hungry because I used to starve myself and not eat when I was hungry and only eat in this specific time frame that I gave myself. And I had to overcome that again. And be like, now not only am I going to eat when I'm hungry, I have to eat when I'm not hungry. And that was, like, really hard for me to do just because of my background. But it's also hard, I think, without that background. It's like being like, wait a second. Like, I know what I just did with my body. I have to. And I think once you also recognize that that happens before and after your runs, that's when you can start being like, and I'm going to feel during my runs. And like, that's a whole like, like game changer. Oh, wow. I don't feel like absolute crap when I'm finishing an 18 mile run because I fueled. Case in point. That's it. it. All (laughs) you're saying
0: is so important. And I almost think in a way, people who have this history with disordered eating or an eating disorder can almost be an asset because it makes you so much more aware. And a lot of these things like well, I'm not hungry after my run, so I'm not going to eat until I'm hungry. A lot of people, a lot of runners and people, if they don't have that history of really working through all those yes. mindset shifts, they're just going to not eat. And that's so right. normal.
1: And so true. There are so so true.
0: Many, even like people I know personally, so yeah. many people who simply don't eat or wouldn't yeah. eat until they're hungry. And like, you just can't do that if you yeah. want to really care for your body as best as you can as a runner. Love it. Um Love and it. so like, just, I just want people to like rewind and re-listen to everything you're saying and be like, wait, this, <laughs> is, cool. this is good. This is how it could be because yeah. like, every runner listening is like, well, I could name five friends who do the opposite. And that
1: doesn't right. mean
0: that it's going to help you or that it's helping no. them.
1: I would say to that is like, well, I would even say like, what kind of performance or what kind of runs is that person leaving on the table? when they're right. not fueling like you have so I mean if you just look at it from a simple biology standpoint like you cannot sit here and tell me that we don't need fuel to function as humans like case in point it just goes back like we've talked about in the beginning not overcomplicating things like that simple right. fact alone should tell us that like all of these crazy theories. I mean I don't want to necessarily say crazy I'm sure there's a little bit to it but like fasted running and these ideas like and then it'll like hold your reserves this way and you get improvements like can we just like not complicate our bodies that much though? like yes it's a complex system but like food is fuel fuel helps functioning really doesn't have to go past that like that's it
0: <laughs> you know yeah. people, there's some sort of cliche phrase that I can't even remember now but it's like people are looking for this like tiny little win yeah. and then missing the big picture and then yes. if you miss the picture, that tiny thing, like sure, maybe you'll burn a little more fat with this fasted running. Right, your like overall health and mental health is going to be down the toilet. Then that's not right. even a win.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and, and I don't even know burning a little more fat. Like, why are we? Why? Why are we just assuming that like our bodies are going to know exactly what? Like, it's just it's such a crazy concept to me that I,
0: mean, I, I'm, yeah. I even uh, go down yeah. that road. Right, and yeah. I need to say this because I yeah I just do. <laughs> people yeah. think about like, okay, well, if I don't have as many carbs, then my body's going to burn fat. And that's great. Yeah. I'm going to look lean. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to blah, blah, blah. Okay. Is that true? Like, yeah, your body right. does start to burn fat when you run out of carbs, but it also starts to break down protein. And guess what yeah. that is muscle. And like, yeah. yes, you're thinking, oh my God, I don't want to lose muscle as a runner. Yes, that's true. Skeletal muscle, very important. Guess what else is a muscle? Cardiac muscle. You don't yes. want your heart to be dying. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we need like a everyone needs to just pause and just like rewind and listen to that like it's yes it's exactly what you said like going through these complicated ways to get this like one little maybe like thing that you're potentially burning fat and like missing the whole other picture and actually making things worse in the process like yeah, maybe like, then you're, right you're is... actually burning fat but
0: yeah <laughs> making it and, worse like, doing that. <laughs>
1: Fat burn for a
0: lean appearance now in your 20s, 30s, whatever. Or do you want to be running into your 80s? One of those people in the marathon with the sign on their back that's like however many. I love that. Even if that's not your goal, because I also do want to say like I myself am a very, very casual recreational runner. I don't really care if I ever qualify for Boston. Like I'm not chasing some big big goal. I just love it. And like I still am going to prioritize my fuel and my health and the yes. longevity of my running because that's the healthier thing to do.
1: That is such a good way to put it. And guess what? You also enjoy it more for that reason. So if you're oh. literally listening and you're like, I don't want to train for anything. I have no rates on the calendar. Like, why would I need to do this? Simple. Enjoy it. Like, yeah, don't feel like you're lightheaded. Don't feel like it. you know, all of these things, like it's just going to make you happier. <laughs> and also <laughs> your brain like in order to process these things, like needs the fuel too. So like in order to actively have a good time doing it, like you need to fuel your brain. So there's so many, so many reasons. But yeah. So many things.
0: Yes. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um. Yeah. So any other? I know we've gone in a million tangents, but any yes. other like major. Takeaways, tips you would share with people yeah. who really want to run a marathon, like from yeah. your training, from your first marathon experience, um, yeah. especially the changes that came with it? Like, what would you want people to know going yeah. into a 2023 marathon if that's on their calendar?
1: I think the biggest thing is again, I want to reiterate recognize that it's like a big deal that you've signed up for a marathon and, like, it's not, I know it's become feels like it's become so mainstream and like everyone's in the running world is running a marathon and you're only defined, but like as a runner, if you've done a marathon, like that's, that's absolutely not true. First of all, second of all, like recognizing that it's a, it's a big deal and it's going to require effort. It's going to require like a change in lifestyle. It's going to require a bunch of different things. Um, Putting the importance on that, I think is pretty huge because what I don't want to happen and I see so often is people just kind of like take it with a grain of salt. Like, Oh, it's going to be fine. Like, okay, I'll just, and worst case I'll just like walk and it's fine. It's like, no, but it's really still really hard. <laughs> like even if you plan it's to walk, like, walk. oh, you know, it's still a really, really, really hard thing to do. So making yeah. sure that A, you have enough time to train for it. Like it depends. I would say if this is your first marathon ever, I would and and you're really not used to, like, doing any kind of long-distance races, I would literally give six months to train for it, Mm -hmm. where you're building your base, you're increasing your mileage, your body has to get to a place where you feel comfortable being able to accept a higher mileage, right? Like, that's number one. If you're a little bit more of a seasoned runner and maybe you've done, like, a bunch of halves and things like that, it might not necessarily take that long of a time, but the fact still stands, like, you need to commit time to it. You can't just say, I'm going to run two times a week and like one of them's going to be my long run. And, you know, I'm going to maybe do two shorter runs in a week. Like there is a little bit of a science to it. You have to make sure you're building your full weekly mileage, like your long runs going up, like fueling, sleeping, prioritizing all of that stuff is important in order to have yourself feeling good. And again, because I'm a physical therapist. I will always put injury reduction first and that's ultimately like the planning and all of that done ahead of time, giving yourself enough time for that is most important. Um, So that's, that's the biggest thing that I think I learned with my first marathon is like, Holy cow, this takes a lot of time and this is a big deal. And this is going to take literally six months of my life to To get better at, like to to like try to do it, you know. And then Mm -hmm. even more so, going after that, what I really learned in the past month or two is you can dedicate all of that time and more, and still it (laughs) cannot be exactly as you hoped. So like that, that's a completely different message. Where it's like, especially with your first marathon taking the pressure off of yourself and being like i am just doing it like to enjoy i had so many people and i bet if someone's from my instagram listening to this they'll be like but you didn't have a time goal okay i didn't (laughs) want to have a time goal but it's hard like again in the life that we're living in to have all of these training sessions and to see the paces that you're hitting and to have a quote-unquote perfect training cycle from what I want to say and there's a million ways we can define that but like I was very very proud of myself and very happy with the amount of training that I put in and Mm -hmm. I was so disappointed in myself and upset after how that day went and if you don't know what I did New York City Marathon and it was a crab shoot like just because of weather and humidity and all of that kind of stuff and you know what helped me is recognizing that like the success is not the marathon. The success is the journey. The success was what you went through. And it's scary because you're putting it all everything on your plate for this one thing. And again, you lose sight of the bigger picture where like the actual win was the fact that like, I was, I felt good and I had a good training cycle and I put it all in and that day does not define who I am as a runner. And like, you know, it comes back, full circle to what we were talking about where it's like the numbers what what your watch is saying what my finish time was like doesn't define me at all um and his real success was just like getting through that.
0: <laughs> no. Absolutely. I really feel like I need an applause sound effect for this episode. Yeah. So I'm yeah. so glad that you said that. I was going to say the exact thing. Like you really have to be in it for the journey. And yeah. I I ran New York in 2021 and I had such a blast training. I ran yeah. so many times with my friends. It was like so fun. And the race was horrible because of feeling <laughs> What I was doing, not having practiced the timing of things, so whatever. Um, And then 2022, I was training for New York, and my training cycle, I was feeling miserable, and so I quit, and I didn't run the race. And like, yeah, that was what I needed to do. And so, exactly, it, like it is about the journey. I think that's such a great uh, take home point.
1: I know I messaged you about this before, but just for like all of the people listening, it's like I, when you announced that on your Instagram, I was like wow, that is um, like, that is so hard to do. That is so much harder. It's like staying in a bad relationship. That is so much harder (laughs) to leave than to stay like good on you and also good on you for talking about it because so many people would just be like, well, I'm just going to continue feeling miserable. And then ultimately probably end up with a miserable result and feeling even crappier about themselves or, or maybe not like, you know, things happen, but like it's so much harder to make that decision. And it comes back to you just being in tune with yourself and your body and recognizing like, you know what, this isn't serving me right now. And because it's not ultimately about what your time is and how the race goes and all of that stuff. It's about the journey. And like, if that's not enjoyable, there's no point. Like you don't have to prove you're not trying to, you finishing the New York city marathon isn't going to make you money. Like you're not like a, you know, most, I mean, maybe there's a professional listening to this. I don't know. But like For the majority of us, like this is not going to put our meals on the table. Like totally. it's so yeah. much bigger than that. You know?
0: It is. Yeah. And I got so many messages after that post of people yes. relating, like n- nobody's alone in that. And yeah, I did feel like a failure at first and I yeah. was running for charity and I felt like I was letting them down, even though I raised the money. I was like, I'm like, yeah, them down. right. But I ran for, it It actually was also symbolic. Like I ran for NAMI, which is a mental health organization. And I was like, you know what? This actually was so meant to be because I was ruining my mental health by doing it. And I ended up having a blast of a day. And yeah. and I remember running, <laughs> screaming at my head off for you. And you were just so not <laughs> aware. I was like, okay. I was
1: not a, like a real person. <laughs> but, I mean, and again, like it goes back to just, training and like, it, it is really hard. Like I'm not sitting here and just being like, okay, yeah, just train and like, don't even think about the end results. But a portion of me wants to say that because it's like, it really does not define who you are as a person, who you are as a runner, like, just enjoy the journey, enjoy the process, what I should have done. And now I know, I mean, I don't want to say should, but like, what I've learned in the process is like, ultimately, my biggest goal for my future races is going out there and having fun. And in order to do that, I probably should have let go of this idea of this time that's going to show. I should have, I, I hate the word should, but like, I know. in, I know. in, in hindsight, <laughs> I wish that I had been a more experienced runner to be like, I probably shouldn't go out at the pace that I had trained at. And something inside of me knew that, but it was so hard for me to let it go because of the idea that this number that I'm going to see is going to define how I am as a runner. And ultimately, my training is worthless if it doesn't show this number on the screen when I finish. And and if I had just let that go and be like, you know what, it's a hot freaking day out there my my goal like i'm just going to go out and enjoy the fact that i'm in my home like in my city and like people are out there cheering for me that's all that matters like i probably would have had a much better day and i probably would have seen you and be like hey and stopped and like <laughs> you know enjoyed and like talked to you yeah. and like and i and i didn't because it was really hard for me to let go of that but i had to go through that experience too in order to grow and exactly. learn from it you know so it's like hard to regret it but i did learn right. from it so we'll see love- <laughs> yeah
0: there absolutely was a purpose for it. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, Vicky, we could talk for hours and I Literally. wish we could. And yeah. We didn't have other <laughs> things to get to. Um, yeah. But this has been such a valuable conversation. So many good takeaways. I hope people go back and listen 10 more times because I feel like I need to, <laughs> to just keep hearing all your little nuggets. Uh, but for now, will you plug yourself, tell people where they can find you, keep up with all you're doing and in running in PT, learn your knowledge, wisdom, and be a part of your world.
1: Yes. So Instagram number one at train, smart, run strong. Um, that's where I just like more, I answer my DMs there. I'm on stories. I post info up there. Um, I also have a website, train, smart, And then a TikTok train smart run strong so it's pretty easy to find me from all of that but um yeah instagram is really where the party is
0: love it and i will link everything so everyone can find you easily um i feel like we're gonna have to chat again this was so great
1: we must we must this is so fun thank you so
0: much for having me thanks so much for coming on And that is our chat for today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I hope you could hear that Vicky and I just had such a blast chatting with each other. And we're just both so aligned in our philosophies and so passionate about what we do and what we want to share, um, which I think really came through. It was so much fun to talk. I have all of her links in the show notes. So if you want to follow up, follow along with her, definitely go check those out. If you enjoyed this episode, go leave a five-star rating and review for the show and send this episode to your runner friends or whoever in your life you think would enjoy it. I would really appreciate you sharing it with someone, and I hope you will come back for the next one.